Hey guys, if you got a Bible, uh, open it up to Luke chapter 20. Uh, you can do that on your phone, tablet, whatever. Uh, there's, there's one in the pew rack in front of you if you um, did not bring one. Uh, many of you will remember, uh, we, we're walking through the Gospel of Luke, and last week um, we got to kind of the first uh, narrative after Jesus enters Jerusalem. From Luke 9.51, uh, Luke tells this story, it's the travel narrative. And then uh, Palm Sunday, we covered the triumphal entry, and then so last week, uh, we talked about what happened when Jesus entered Jerusalem, and it was totally unexpected. Because when he enters Jerusalem, he doesn't march up to the palace of Herod, say, hey, get out of here, and take his place sitting on a throne as a political king. He doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't go to the palace at all, instead he goes to the temple. And when he goes to the temple, he walks in, and he overturns all the tables of the money changers, and in doing so, he actually overturns the lives of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, and and the elders of Jerusalem. All these people that had control over what was taught and over what happened in the temple. And so so in doing that, everything changed. And so, so those people are not happy with Jesus, right? They're not happy with the fact that he has now taken their audience. And by the way, when he goes into the temple and he does this, he says, by the way, so you know, now this is my house. It's my house. And Jesus shows up every day from that point on in his house, and he treats it like his house, and he starts to teach the good news, and he preaches the gospel. Now, the gospel is offensive to anybody that's self-righteous because it tells us there's nothing we can do on our own or by ourselves to make ourselves acceptable to God. And so Jesus is preaching the gospel. They don't like it. They've lost their positions of prominence. And so they decide, you know what? We got an idea. We're going to try to make him look like a fool in front of all these people. And they question him publicly. And so first they question his authority. They're like, what authority are you doing these things? On what authority are you turning over tables and driving out uh, money changers? And what what authority are you preaching this good news that that it's not about works, but it's by grace? What authority are you doing this? And so Jesus answers them by telling them a parable of the tenants. They end up very embarrassed. They want to arrest him, but the crowd is so enamored by the teachings of Jesus that the elders and the chief priests and the Pharisees say, we cannot arrest him. We've got to figure out something else. And so that's where our text is going to lead us today. Uh, Today, there's going to be more questions. These questions are going to come from a couple of different groups, and we're going to look at how Jesus responds to them, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, hopefully understand more about the heart of God. All right, let's pray together. Father, um, as we just sang, uh, and, and, and I pray our heart understands this, um, there, are, there are more than 10,000 reasons to praise your name. Right here this morning, there, there are more than 10,000 blessings in each of our lives. We just have failed to count them. We've missed those moments. God, forgive us for that. Father, we come here together this morning with expectant hearts ready to hear from you. And, and Holy Spirit, we want to invite you right now and just, we, we, we proclaim this every week. Come and take your rightful place at this pulpit. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher of this church. Lead us to Jesus. Exalt Jesus and Jesus as you are lifted up. Would you draw all men unto yourself? In Jesus' name, we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 20, I'm going to read through 40. It says, Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be 
honest, okay? So here's what's going on. Remember this group? Uh, they, they tried to question him in publicly. It did not go well. So they kind of hatch a new scheme, and they're like, well, listen, we can't ask him any more questions. If we ask him any more questions, and we're wrong, he disproves us. Like, even it, it's more to our discredit. They're going to move away from us even more than they already have. We don't want to lose our position of prominence. So they, they hatch a scheme. They're going to pay some people some money to, to act like they are lovers of God and lovers of this guy, Jesus. And so these spies come in now, and, and they want the spies to ask the questions. And so it says, uh, keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something that he said, so that they might hand him over to the power uh, and the authority of the governor. That's, that's key. That's key. Remember, they can't arrest him publicly. The people are enamored with Jesus. If they try to take Jesus away at this point, there'll be a riot and they'll be stoned to death. So their new plan is let's figure out a way to get him arrested by the Romans, right? That we, we don't have to do it. We won't be blamed. And, and they'll be the ones that take him away. It'll be great. So they hatch this scheme. They hire these spies. That's what's going on. And so uh, it, it says this, verse 21, the spies. So the spies um, question him. Uh, teacher, we know that you speak and you teach what is right. And, and that you do not show partiality, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It says, verse 23, he saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius whose portrait and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. Some of the Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection came to Jesus with another question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first one married a woman and died childless, and the second and the third married her, and in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die. For they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher, and no one dared to ask him any more questions. It's a lot of text to cover. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to break it up. So there's two questions asked. Um, we're going to handle the first one first, then we'll get to the second one. And I've just got three points for you, okay? And here's the first thing I want you to understand. This morning I want you to understand that the government is deserving of your taxes. The government is deserving of your taxes, but God deserves your wholehearted devotion, all right? 
The government is deserving of your taxes, but God deserves your wholehearted uh, devotion. So the Jewish rulers kind of got embarrassed last time when Jesus told the parable of the tenants. They realized that they were never going to have an opportunity to arrest Jesus. And they also realized that if they questioned Jesus anymore, and he made them look any more foolish, that they would never, ever, ever get their place of prominence back with the people that they they, they cared uh, about, the people that they used to teach. So, So not wanting to cause any further dislike, or dismay, they hatch a plan. They're going to send spies, right? Paid people, people that are not associated with them necessarily, so the crowd won't know that these guys are, are working in cahoots uh, with the elders and, and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And, and so they're going to send these paid people, and these paid people, these spies, are going to go before Jesus. And, and, and here's the deal. They're going to ask him a question that involves two spheres of life that appear to be in conflict at all times. The first sphere is the public sphere or the government sphere, right? It's that sphere of life about, about where they live and Roman rule and all those kind of things. So, 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 so the question involves this sphere, but it also involves another sphere. And, and that is the sphere of God uh, and, and God's rule and God's sovereignty. So here is their thought. They honestly think that they can catch Jesus in the question because here's the deal. If Jesus says, uh, well, you've got to pay to Caesar this tax then the people of God that are gathered in the temple are going to rebel against Jesus, right? I mean, they're going to go, wait a second, wait, you, you're, you're not who you said you were. Like, you're, you're now telling us that we have to live under Rome. We hate Rome. We'll be very upset with that, right? And by the way, this was a personal tax. It wasn't something you paid to a tax collector. It was for every person had to pay this, this tax, and it went directly to Caesar. So, so, so they're going to reject that, and what that's going to do is it's going to allow the scribes and the Pharisees uh, to take their, their place back. They're going to win the people back. So they think, hey, hey, first and foremost, if he says go pay the tax, the people are ours, right? Okay. Now, even better, hopefully he says, nope, God over government. Don't worry about government. Just be the people of God. And if he says that, we don't have to arrest him because the Romans are going to sweep in and the Romans are going to arrest him and they're going to take care of it. And then again, we get the temple back. It is a really, really, really smart plan. I, I, I mean, it, it really is an intellectual... I mean, it's diabolical, it's demonic, but it's really smart, right? And, and, and that's what's going on. And so uh, the problem is this. When the spies come forward to speak to Jesus, Jesus sees straight through their duplicity. Look at verse 23 and 24, he saw through their duplicity and he says to them, show me a denarius. By the way, I would say uh, just to you, just a side note that God sees straight through our duplicity as well. Listen, you cannot pull the wool over the eyes of the one that made the sheep in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Like God knows who you are. He knows your motives. He knows what you're thinking and he knows what you're hiding. And I, I just I encourage so so these people, these spies, they're trying to trick Jesus. Like, hey, you can't pull the wool over my eyes. And and he so he calls them out and he just cuts straight to the heart of their question. And that's what we're gonna do this morning too. We're gonna cut straight to the heart of, of the question. This is not um, a, a theological diatribe on, on, on how a Christian lives in two 
separate kingdoms, a worldly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. This isn't about one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. That's not what the text is meant to do. This text is just dealing with taxes and loyalty. That's, that's the point. It's just taxes and loyalty. This text also doesn't deal with what to do when the two spheres collide. It, it doesn't deal with which one takes precedence over the other. The, 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 the text here just doesn't present that. Now, other places in the Bible do, right? Other places in the Bible, we can go to Romans 13 and listen to what Paul says about God's governance. We can, we can go to the book of Acts where, where uh, the government says to Peter, don't speak anymore. You better not speak that name of Jesus. And Jesus says, you can, or Peter says, you can determine for yourself whether it's right or wrong, but I've got to be a witness for Jesus Christ because that's what he called me to do. And he continues to preach the good news, right? So there are other places that deal with that, but this text is not one of those places. This is just about taxes. It's just about loyalty. It's, it's about what's called a poll tax, an individual personal tax paid directly to Caesar. Should the people of God pay a tax to Caesar? That's the question. Should the people of God be forced to pay a tax to Caesar? And so Jesus basically says, hey, anybody got a quarter? I mean, that's what he says. He, he's like, so, so, hey, hey, anybody got a denarius? That's like a day's wage. And, and so everybody in the crowd, of course, like they use Roman money because they lived in a Roman state, kind of reaches like in their pocket. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I got one. Everybody. Everybody has them. And, and, and this is what's so great about Jesus' response. These people use this money all the time. They had no problem buying groceries with it. They had no problem trading with it. Yet now, now suddenly this text, well, should, should we give to Caesar? What is Caesar? I don't, I don't know. So he says, I don't know. Do you have a coin in your pocket? And they reach in their pocket, and sure enough, they all have a coin. And he says, like, hey, whose image and whose inscription is on that coin? And they all say Caesar. So he says, well, fine. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, listen, if Jesus had stopped there, they had him, right? If, if he had stopped there, the crowds would turn against him. But, but, and I think, I like to think for like a millisecond, joy is, 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 is rising up in the hearts of these guys. They're like, yeah, we're going to take him back over. The temple is ours again. And then he says, and. They're like, oh gosh. Oh gosh. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So here's the question for us today, people. What is God? What is God? Right, certainly in the text, it, it, it's got a reference to tithe. Right? They're in the temple. We're talking about taxes. Uh, it, it certainly references a tithe. But the question is, is, is that really all that God wants of us? Does God just want a tithe? Right? Is the story of the Bible all about a God that has pursued mankind so that he can get money from them? Like, is that the story of the Bible? Some people feel that way. They, 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 they come to church and they think, man, all those people ever want is my money. But I'm here to tell you that's not the story of Scripture. The story of the Bible isn't about a God that pursues people so he can get their money. It's, it's about a God that makes all things and can make, create wealth out of nothing, right? Yeah, like that, that's the God of the Bible. So it's not a story about a God that pursues people for their money. Rather, the Bible is actually a story about a God that pursues his loving creation because he wants to recapture their heart. Because he wants to recapture their heart. It's a story of a God who loves his creation so much that though they have turned from him, that he takes their sin, the consequence of their sin, which is death, he takes it upon himself on the cross. He dies in their place because he loves them so much. Right? And, and, and listen, here's the beauty of, of, of the story. 
The beauty of the story is that that God wants you to know that He loves you that much. He wants you to know that He loves you that much so that you will love Him back. God has always been concerned with the human heart. That's why the greatest commandment, Old Testament and New, is this. Jesus quotes it in Luke chapter 10. It's coming from Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. That's the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. Love God with everything that you are, wholeheartedly. Listen, pay your taxes, please. I love you, I don't want you to go to jail. Pay your taxes. The government who protects you, who provides basic services to you, they deserve that. But... God deserves so much more. God deserves so much more. Sadly, I think many of us are more faithful at paying our taxes. We're more faithful at at, at giving to Caesar what is Caesar's than we are at truly giving to God what is God's. You see it? It's where you start, okay? The government is deserving of your taxes, but God is deserving of your wholehearted devotion. That's why he pursues you. That's why he pursues you. Number two, second thing I want you to see. Okay, ready? All who are raised to new life in Christ will experience an eternity so fulfilling it's hard to describe. All who are raised to a new life in Christ will experience an eternity so fulfilling it's hard to describe. We're going to shift gears and talk about the question of the Sadducees now. Ah, have you ever tried to explain something really complex to a little child? Anybody? Anybody been there? Right? Okay. And, 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 and it always arises like out of, out of the most simplistic um, question. I mean, they ask a, a simple question or so it seems, but, but the answer to that question is actually so complex that it just, it like blows their little mind, right? Like, um, hey, daddy, why is the sky blue? Right? I mean, we've all heard that one, so, so we'll answer that this morning. Children, pay attention, okay? So the sky is blue because the sun emits light. Right? And all light that you see, it appears white to us, but it's actually made up of all of the colors of the rainbow. Right? So when you walk outside and you see the sun here in a little bit and it blinds you because it was kind of dark in here and you're like, ah, that's all the colors of the rainbow, right? I mean, all of them, red and, and orange and yellow and green and blue and violet. Now, all these colors in that, in that light, they all travel in, in waves. And some of those waves uh, are, are, are far apart from each other, right? Like red is really far apart, okay? And, and, and then others of those waves are, are closer together. Well, guess what? Blue is, has the shortest wavelength, right? It's like this. It's like super choppy, blue is. And so what happens is when light travels into our atmosphere, which is made up of nitrogen and oxygen molecules, and it hits those molecules trying to get to the earth, when it hits those molecules, all the other waves that are further apart, they can slip through the nitrogen and oxygen molecules. But the blue one, because it's basically like hitting a brick, it disperses into all those molecules and that's why when you look up the primary color you see is blue yeah what went to college for that 
Logan is like, wow. My mind is blown. Don't worry, so are the adults. They didn't know that either. Sometimes the answer to a really simple question is so big that our minds just can't grasp it. So here's what happens with the Sadducees, who don't even believe in the resurrection to start with, right? So the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They want to kind of prove their point, that they're right, and that Jesus is wrong. So they ask him a pretty ridiculous question about the resurrection. Now, there was something way back in Deuteronomy chapter 25 called leverate marriage. And, and, and what it says is that if a, if a, if a brother died... Uh, and, and, and he was childless, that his brother should marry the wife so that his brother's name would pass on, so that the dead brother's name would, would pass on. It was a way to, to keep familiar rights going. Uh, what ended up happening, though, is when that did happen, and a brother married his sister-in-law, um, and if they ever had a child, it always seemed like that child actually took on the name of the living brother, not the dead one anyway. So, so get this, by the time that Jesus is alive and standing in the temple and he's being questioned, this is not even in practice in Jewish culture, which is ridiculous. So they're asking a question that that is ridiculous, and then they make it more ridiculous by saying, oh, by the way, it's seven brothers, and none of them could have a child, and, uh, you know, and and, and so just difficult. And then they say, and so at the resurrection, you know, Jesus, that thing that you teach that we don't believe in, if there's a resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? Now, it, it seems like a complex question, but it's really a really simple question. Okay? Here's the simple question. Ready? Is there marriage at, after resurrection? That's the question. It's actually a very, very simple question. And Jesus responds to that simple question by explaining why the sky is blue. True. True story. Right? I mean, they ask a a simple question like, whose wife is she going to be? And so Jesus says, well, let me talk to you a little bit about how resurrection and afterlife really looks. Um, Follow me. I'm I'm in uh, verse 34 through 36. So Jesus replies, uh, the people of this age, they marry and they're given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and, and the resurrection from the dead, that's the age he's talking about, talking about heaven, uh, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. Okay? Now, now listen. So the question is, whose wife is she going to be uh, at, at the resurrection? Jesus' response is, well, that life is not like this life. He says, let, let, me, let me explain some things to you about, about the afterlife. That life is not like this life. First of all, nobody dies there. Nobody dies. Second of all, no relationship there is going to be held by space or time. None. Right? There will be none of those constraints there in heaven. You're not going to be constrained by space or time. There's not going to be any, any need, uh, right? We're, we're not going to uh, procreate there in heaven. There's no need, like no, nobody's going to be newly born there. That's not going to happen. Uh, he, he's like, it, it is a completely different I- experience. He says people there are going to experience an elevated form of life that is totally different. And it, it's like explaining to a child why the sky is blue is what, what Jesus is saying. Now listen to me. Uh, marriage here on earth, in its fullness, and I think we need, to, we need to start here with this reality 
the majority of us have never experienced the fullness of marriage. Some of us are coming close. Some of us come from broken homes, right? We're, 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 we're the effect, like the result of that. So, so we, don't, we don't experience it. But, but if we could imagine marriage in its perfect form, ready? Marriage in its perfect form is a picture, it's a picture of intimacy, that's what it is. It's a picture of, of closeness and being known by another person. And, and, and get this, Jesus is saying, the picture of marriage fails in comparison to the reality of heaven. The, the, the extent to which, when the Bible says, now we know in part, but then we shall know in full, the extent to which we know in part now, it fails in comparison to when we are fully known. When every relationship we have, we fully know one another, we fully know God, we fully know His heart, we fully know His love, we, we fully experience His grace. Everything here fails in comparison. Fails in comparison. Whose wife will she be? Let me tell you why the sky is blue, Jesus says. Third thing I want you to see. Third thing I want you to see. God is not dead. You don't have to be either. Jesus concludes his talk with the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection by saying, Hey guys, you missed the mark like a long, long time ago. And, and so he, he, he points them uh, back to something that they know very well. He says, didn't Moses at, at the bush, right? Didn't, didn't Moses back there at the burning bush, uh, the account of the bush, I'm in verse 37, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. And so, so the, the, this is a phrase that was very familiar to the Sadducees. They, they said it all the time. It was said in, in church. They, they, this is how they would describe God, right? Uh, father, father of Abraham, Father of Isaac, father of Jacob, I mean, they, would, they would talk about God in, in, in this sense. And so Jesus decides to give them a little linguistic lesson that goes all the way back to Exodus 3, 6. Exodus 3, 6 uh, says this, that God's speaking. Then God says, uh, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of, of Jacob. I am, not, not I was. Did you notice that? This is the linguistic lesson. He's going, did you not catch the, 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 the language of Exodus 3, 6 that you guys have studied? It never said, I was the God of Abraham, or I was the God of Isaac, or I was the God of Jacob. It said, I am, like I still am, like, like I am still living. And get this, so are they, for everyone who believes in me is still alive, is still alive. That's huge. That is a theological bombshell. So here's the good news. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. The angel at, 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 at the tomb invites us. He says, come and, and see where his body was laid, right? For, for he is not dead, but he is, he is alive. That's the invitation. And that same invitation is, is available to us. God is alive and so are all who believe in his name. John 1, uh, 12 says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Acts 2, 21 says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God isn't dead. And we don't have to be either. 
We don't have to be either. And I'm not just talking about salvation. We'll get to that in a second. So let's talk about how to apply these 20 verses of Scripture in our life, all right? It's pretty important not to just experience the Bible, but then to actually try to live it out. So let's talk about application. Uh, Number one, I think this text challenges us to give to God what he deserves. Give to God what he deserves. Listen, and, and, and it'd be easy to, you know, the finance committee tells me that I never talk about tithing. I'm like, I feel like every time we take up the tithes and the offerings, I talk about tithing every single week. Uh, but, but listen, this is true, right? Give to God what he deserves. Everything that you have, everything that you possess, the Bible says it is a very good gift. It's a perfect gift that has come down from God. Everything you have is his, right? And so, so definitely this had to do with tithes contextually, but it is so much more than that. Listen, before you ever think about giving money to God, let's start here. He wants your heart more than your money, right? In fact, I'm going to tell you that the money is just a reflection of whether or not he has your heart. So if you're, you're somebody that's struggling with tithing, you're probably struggling in your relationship with God. You're struggling to really give him everything that you are. So let's start there, right? Let's start with giving God what he deserves, and he deserves your whole heart. God gave everything for you. Everything. God held nothing back for you. Nothing back. Why should we not do the same? Wholehearted devotion. All right? Give God what He deserves. Two, challenge you to get a taste of heaven now. Right? (laughs) There's just little underlying thing in the text when you start to hear about heaven and it says that there's not going to be marriage there like we think of life here, right? But there is a fullness. There is an intimacy. And friends, what what I'm here to tell you is like God meant for you to be able to taste that now. He meant for you to be able to taste that now in your marriage. He wants you and your marriage to be closer to your spouse than anyone else on the face of the planet. He wants you guys to be in each other's heads. He wants you guys to be in each other's hearts. He definitely wants you to only be in each other's beds. You know, I mean, he has some plans for you and that plan is closeness and I, I just say, like, experience it. If something is wrong with your marriage, like, fix it now so that you can get a taste of, of how well-known you're going to be made in heaven. But it's not just about marriage. It's about intimacy with God, right? Listen, Jesus said, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. He, he says, if, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And so here's this strange truth. We're called to this abundant life in Christ, but we have lied to ourselves and thought that the abundant life in Christ just meant sitting still in Jesus. Well, as long as I remain in Jesus, I'm good. The problem is, is the Bible says to remain in Jesus, you have to keep in step with the Spirit of God. Now listen, here's the Holy Spirit's role in case you never knew. The Holy Spirit's role is not to exalt Himself. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always moving towards Jesus. Always moving. So to abide in Christ, I have to keep in step with the Spirit of God who is always moving towards Jesus. So friends, if you're sitting on the sidelines, you're not abiding in Christ. You're not experiencing abundant joy and, and peace and love and gentleness and kindness. You're not experiencing the life God has for you because the Holy Spirit is always moving 
towards Jesus. And if we're going to abide in Christ, we have to be too. Galatians 5 says, keep in step with that spirit. Keep in step with that spirit. So I'd say experience and friendships. Get a taste of heaven now. Let, let, let somebody into your life. Let them really know you. Let them know your hurts and your struggles and your trials, man. Get a piece of heaven now. Lastly, I would uh, challenge you just, just simply say, I think this text tells us to come alive. You know, Jess, a few weeks ago, sang a special Valley of the Dry Bones. It just says, come alive, right? Come alive. Listen, I, I know a lot of people, and, and we can talk about Christ and, and, and our relationship. I think this definitely has to do with salvation. Absolutely, right? Uh, Jesus flat out says not everybody is going to experience resurrection. He says for those that experience. So there are those, some, some here, maybe you don't know Christ. I would say to, like today is the day to do that, to give your life to Christ. Absolutely today. I think he's calling you. Okay. But I want to talk to my Christian friends for a second. Brothers and sisters, could you look up here right now? Little dry, little parched in your walk with Christ. Right? Come alive, dry bones. Come alive, dry bones. Get out of the desert, my friends. That was not his intended place for you. He's taking you to a promise. He's taking you to abundance, right? And that's not prosperity gospel. That's the truth of the gospel, that Jesus saved us so we could live in him, not so we could camp out in the desert. Come alive. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts as only you can that you would do what only you can do. We love you. We lift you up. We ask that you would move here in our presence in the next few minutes. In your name, we pray. Amen, 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 amen.